What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce, episode 102. Today's episode is building a niche-focused product line. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments. If you've never been here before or don't know what Ping Pong Payments is, let me tell you real quick. This this show is presented by Ping Pong Payments, who transfers more than $150 million a day for e-commerce sellers just like you. If you're watching this, we have helped over 1 million customers now, Amazon and e-business sellers all over the world, processing over $90 billion to date. That's billion with a B. So if you want to learn more about ping pong payments, go ahead and check out those show notes below if you're watching right now. Of course, put that off to the side, but check us out. Go ahead and click on that link below. It's uh the URL is going to end in CC podcast. That's for crossover commerce podcast. Go ahead and sign up for free today because there's no fees and you could save when sending and receiving international payments all in one platform. Go ahead and do it today. Go ahead and sign up. Uh, but that's ping pong payments for you. Definitely help grow your e-commerce and Amazon business. That being said, a big welcome to our audience today for watching on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter, wherever you're watching from, we appreciate you joining us on Crossover Commerce. If this is your first episode or your 102nd, I appreciate you tuning in on a beautiful Friday, at least where it is where I'm at, on a Friday afternoon, um, if it's late at night or early in the morning or even uh, maybe lunchtime for you on the West Coast. uh, We appreciate you taking some time to tune in and listen to uh, what we have to talk about today. Um, Again, this will also be on audio format. So if you're listening to us via download on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, Anywhere where a podcast actually exists, I'm going to be there. Just search for Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments, and that's where you will find all of our episodes to date. Right now, season one is all out, one through 30, and season two will be coming shortly. We have lots of cool projects in the works where you're going to be able to see landing pages and all sorts of really cool assets in terms of listening to past and future guests on Crossover Commerce. So stay tuned for that. That's really exciting, but go ahead and catch those episodes and rate us as well. And because I go live so many times per week, again, anywhere from two to five, the range is crazy because there's so many people in the space that have so much knowledge in the e-business and Amazon space. I want to make sure that they're giving you their best and best information that they have, um, both successful-wise or what's maybe not gone so right in the past for their business. I want that to come to the forefront to help you level up your business to um, take it to the next step. So go ahead and subscribe to our channels on ping pong payments on YouTube. And then also you can follow me on social media on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Just go ahead and do that or click the the bell in the right hand corner. You don't want to miss a single episode, uh, for us as well. But if it was just about me, that would be one boring episode. It's about my guests or guests as in today. Um, I have two guests, uh, double the trouble, um, but more minds, the better, right? Uh, if, if that's the whole adage, but our guests today are fantastic. They're called the Zab twins, Eric and Brian, uh, with FBA startup, the Zab twins, Eric and Brian are two passionate young entrepreneurs whose mission is to inspire the next generation to realize their full potential and in the entrepreneurial world. They're, they're twins, obviously with seven figures, as sellers and their businesses across multiple e-commerce channels have worked with more than 100 startup brands as well. 
and consulted uh, on direct-to-consumer manufacturing and distribution companies on implementing Amazon into their channels. So with that being said, the Zab Twins are also recently started their own FBA course called the FBA Startup. Check them out. All the links are going to be where we're going to be talking about in the show notes below. Go ahead and check those out. Make sure you follow them on social media as well, first and foremost. But welcome to Crossover Commerce, episode 102. Uh, Brian and Eric, guys, what is going on today? Let me pull you in. There you go. What's up? What's up, guys? Brian? <laughs> yeah, this is what I had to ask everything. Like uh, the first time I met you guys, you were both on the same uh, monitor, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I, I thought this was maybe something you guys do, but you guys literally—it sounds—it looks like you guys do everything together. Is, am I am I wrong or am I right? You are absolutely right there. I I don't remember a time. Well, first of first of all, growing up, we've always been mirror images. I think we have a little bit of a different face, facial structure now, but okay, same, yeah, same friends. Honestly, very similar grades. We're talking like percentages, uh, like 2% differences in our grades in high school as well as college. It was pretty crazy. Um, we're probably the definition of a twin, to be honest with you. Everything we do is uh, exactly the same. We've, we, you know, there's those twins out there that may not necessarily have the best relationship, so to speak. And um, we're the complete opposite. We have the best relationship. He can finish my thoughts. I can finish his thoughts. We're thinking the same thing at the same time. A lot of the time, it's it's insane to say the least. It's a great experience for sure. But I don't know what it's like not being a twin. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was gonna say it's like looking in the mirror, right? Like you look at the other person, you know the thoughts and what they look like. That's really cool. So the first question I never in this mind is: Have you tricked at least your parents into who's who? That's the first question. You know what? We always get that here. question. We always get that question. We always get that question. Or have has one of you guys written a test for each other? Or have one of you guys played teachers? You know the the funny story Maybe is each like girlfriends or, or whomever. Right? <laughs> yeah, a little a little extreme on that one, but no, we haven't. Honestly, um, it's funny because again, we always get asked that question, and we just never were that type of type of people. And then in terms of like the classrooms and writing each other's tests, we were always the same classroom basically every single year. So there is no getting away from that. Our, you know, we look very similar current state and back in elementary school and high school and everything like that, we even looked more similar. Like we've, I feel like our faces have grown out, grown out a little bit, but um, long story short, it was very hard for us to do that because we just happened to be in the same grade or the same classes every single time. And our teachers caught on to who we, who or which one I was and which one Brian was very, very quickly. Um, because we may look the same, but we do have different mannerisms. We do think the same, but again, you know, the way that I smile or he squints his eyes a little bit more, <laughs> there's little things like that, that people tend to pick up on pretty quickly. Well, on, the, on your guys' website, again, we, we linked to it to, in the show notes below, um, the zabtwins.com, I believe it's zabtwins.com. You yep. guys, you actually call out your differences in terms of one's the creative side and one's more the analytical side. So I'm curious, yeah. like, how did you guys like make that as your, your strong suits? Is it something you both just kind of realized or you're like, we can't both do the same thing. That'd be even more <laughs> ridiculous. So one of us has to do one or the other. So what, what was that like kind of finding your own kind of differences too, right? That, yeah. That, yeah. That's key. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, th I think the I'll jump in, Ryan, really quickly. Um, yeah. This happens a lot. We'll talk over each other quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I've, I've always been a person for numbers. Like, I love Excel. I love being able to look at data. Um, and when we got into the Amazon space, it was like looking at pay-per-click advertising and running our bulk files and all that kind of stuff. I just fell in love with it. So uh, for me, it was natural for me to gravitate towards that. And because I, I got very specialized in doing pay-per-click and looking at all these numbers, doing all of our financial stuff and everything like that, um, there left a piece in the business where somebody had to manage our employees, manage our graphic design, all that kind of stuff. So naturally, Brian moved to that. Um, but he's always been the person like I used to get text messages from him at like 1230 or 1am 1 saying like, I have this idea, I have this idea. He's always been one to come up with these crazy ideas. So um, I think when we moved into the Amazon space, we never really realized that I was the analytical one and he was the creative one. But uh, it really solidified that that's in, in fact how we exactly were. So yeah, that's amazing. Well, that's amazing stuff. So what did, what did, uh, what, what's kind of the background? So you guys obviously have known each other's your whole lives. You've, mm -hmm. you've grown up together. What was it like, uh, going from, you said, you mentioned university. Did you go in the States or you, you guys live in Canada? So maybe take us like once you guys graduated high school or college, what, what's that journey? Like, are you guys looking to get into e-commerce or business? What, what was that kind of background like? Absolutely. I can, I can chime in here. Um, yeah, we, so we, we were always ones to, um, want to make money as soon as possible. So we went to post-secondary school, uh, literally right after high school, we didn't take any breaks. We dove right into what we call an advanced diploma program at an Institute of technology college within British Columbia. It's called BCIT. Um, and we studied marketing and specifically sales. So they have a marketing management diploma program, and then you can specialize in a specific option. Us, we were sales. We were always hustlers as a young kid. As young kids, we were always trying to make money in many different ways, whether it be selling our old clothes, flipping cars, loaning money to friends at, a, at crazy interest rates, things along those lines. We knew that we had potential to make a lot of money. And we knew that in a sales role, um, you were never capped from a commission standpoint, right? So that's why we specialized in sales. Um, we got into the corporate lifestyle literally right after. Um, luckily enough, our so we, we did a practicum program, a company called Aerotech did recruiting and staffing. Um, we were top performers, top 10% of the company there. Um, with that said, they were pretty demanding jobs, as you can imagine, like making money at the end of the day, you need to be putting in the hours. So 10 hours minimum a day, sometimes up to 14 hours, sometimes seven days a week, depending on, um, depending on the time in regards to our quota, things along those lines. But about a year and a half into working at Aerotech, we started to realize like, hey, we were building someone else's vision. At the end of the day, we were making a ton of money for someone else. And we were like, okay, it's time for us to kind of settle down. Now, with that said, entering into this job, we told our bosses, our, our boss transparently, hey, we want to be business owners. This is probably like a 10 year thing. We didn't really know what was realistic. We were fairly young entering the workforce. Um, but, you know, Amazon presented itself. A, a gentleman named Tom Wang, a lot of people probably know him. He actually went to the same college as us. He got us into this space, started teaching us how to how to run the business, things along those lines. Um, we actually put it on the back burner for a while, quite frankly. But when we started to dive in, as, as soon as we started to see the potential in this, we went full force. As soon as COVID hit, we were able to work at home, start working on the business a lot more to get that experience, you know, working from home, living that digital nomad lifestyle. Um, and it was an awesome feeling. Our business grew, grew and grew, and we saw the potential. And then we finally made that took that leap of faith and we walked away from our corporate jobs back in August and July of last year. So we've been full-time doing this for about seven, eight months now. Wow. Right in the pandemic, you're like, Hey, 
this is, this is what we want in our passion. So you guys hopped into this full time. I know Tom very well. Uh, him and I actually would uh, collaborate. Uh, I know he has a mastermind class, but every two weeks now still, I'm not sure mm -hmm. if he's constantly still doing this, but yeah, my days at Viral Lunch, there was, it was certainly a lot of collaboration. He too, congratulations to Tom, if he happens to be watching this, exited his business most recently and sold it off for what, seven figures, eight figures, pretty high, I believe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sure. so it, it's a day and age where your brand becomes your biggest asset. So Tom actually exited his beauty brand um, and uh, sold it off. So congratulations to him. And so he was one of your mentors um as well who who else was like impacting you guys on this journey like a lot of people like to look to certain individuals or they take courses or they look and do all their research online what was that education process for you guys yeah yeah so i mean when we first started like again tom came and spoke to our sales class in march of 2017 and our very last semester at bcit this is when he first like he was doing ten thousand dollars a month at the time um he did a quick plug about amazon fba at the end of his uh his little presentation, I couldn't forget it because I walked out into the hallway right after that and I made an introduction to myself and I was like, hey man, like I've been looking into drop shipping, like I really wanna do something on the internet and it just super, it, it really intrigued me. So, um, you know, we leaned on him a lot initially, um, I think at the time or that December, he started a beta program for his program uh, where we enrolled into that again. I think it was everything was done through Facebook. Um, like he was doing videos in Facebook, posting content in Facebook. It was just a beta group to make content for the actual program. So uh, that's where we got our feet a little wet into it. But at the time, um, the first resource we looked into was a blog, a blog that Tom recommended. We followed that. We used Unicorn Smasher to validate products back in the day, um, which, is, which is crazy. And then we did a lot of YouTube uh, searching and all that kind of stuff. What I found with YouTube was everybody teaches something different all around the same topic. So like product research, there's 10 different ways of doing it. Um, and what we tried to do is we tried to consume as much possible information as we could. And what made that very challenging was, which one do I listen to? So we put right. ourselves very much so into that paralysis by, or yeah, paralysis by analysis stage, because we just didn't know where to take action. So, um, you know, shortly after that beta group, we didn't do anything with it again until a year after we joined the beta group which is when we actually enrolled into Tom and David Zaleski's actual program. This was after the beta group. I think it was called Six Steps to Six Figures at the time. I think it's, it, yeah, I think that's what exa exactly what it was called. Um, so again, it was we enrolled into the alliteration, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, we enrolled into that again, started consuming the content, but never did anything with it. That was the worst part about it. And looking back at it, I wish I did. Um, but it was December, 2019. We really, we really plugged in. We were like, you know what, let's do this. Let's do this for ourselves. Um, and we, we went ahead and did it or December, 2018, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that was in 2017. And then um, at the time, it was David that we were leaning on to now. Like we did right. a lot of questions with David um, and he was like that mentor, the person that we really looked up to. He was the one that was really supporting us. So um, David's such a good dude and, and, and a lot of our success, we definitely contribute to his knowledge and his willingness to help us early on in the trenches for sure. Absolutely. And David's still running, I believe, Ecom Hub. Is that still yep. correct? Yeah, he that's is, right. Exactly. I messaged him. He's such a busy dude. You see his uh, Facebook ads <laughs> rolling through every so often with him emerging from a jungle or something like that. So he's doing, he's doing big stuff there in Chicago. Yeah. See, I, yeah. I remember David, if you're watching, I remember it all. So uh, steel <laughs> trap up there. But so you guys, so you guys are, are leaning on a couple different people and that's pretty significant because those soldiers are out of Canada. Um, that's mm. where you guys were. So what's it been like? I'm, I'm curious. Um, 
I mean, it, there's not a lot of different cultural wise from the United States to Canada, but what's it like trying to learn the FBA process in a country that is so spread out, doesn't have all the same logistics uh, setups that the United States does? Were you always going to just sell in the United States and not in Canada? Did that feel wrong to you? Or what are what's that thought process kind of like for, for you guys? Yeah, I can, I can touch on that. Um, honestly, thought process, and this is where like leaning on someone that had experience living in Canada and selling in the United States, what Tom was able to really break down with us was the United States has a lot more opportunity. There's a lot more organic traffic. Even if you pulled up statistics, you just did a quick search Canada versus United States from an e-commerce standpoint, not necessarily Amazon. A lot more people are engaged to purchase online in the United States. So because of that, we took that and we still do this to this day. Every single new product that we launch will be launched in the United States in order to take advantage of that organic traffic first, allowing us to essentially kickstart our business, get the reviews faster. And then we start, you know, expanding outwards into Canada, into Mexico, things along those lines. Now, the benefit of going through a program and having a mentor is, again, we can lean on those questions that we knew how to set up our business from a financial standpoint, from a legal standpoint as well, um, so that we can get everything set up in the United States. And to be honest, I love it because the conversion rate is in massive benefit to us Canadians. Right now, I think it's at like a dollar twenty-one, so we get a lot more money uh, for a U.S. dollar sale um, when we get it paid out to ourselves. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's not always a bad thing. And here, obviously, here with ping pong, when you're converting money and you make it work in your benefit, no matter the strength of the dollar where it is in the world, sometimes it actually works out that you're making actually more in local currency through uh, another currency that you're selling it. So that's that's a really good point that you guys are doing. So. I'm, I'm hearing the dates 2018, 2019, where you guys are really starting to get serious about FBA, mm -hmm. really focus on that. Um, we titled this building a niche focused product line. So getting going, what's the mentality of starting online as sellers? Because you have to agree with each other. I'm assuming you both wanted to get into business with one another, correct? Or is it one correct. idea versus the other? <laughs> no, we wanted to get in together for sure. Uh, okay. So that being said, I'm assuming down the line, you both had either found your own products or one person found it. And that's the niche that you wanted to dive into is how, what, what's the process like for you guys as starting out on Amazon, as it's kind of trickling along and it's growing quite rapidly. Where are you guys going first as entrepreneurs? Is it following data? Is it something you're passionate about? What's that path mm -hmm. you guys are taking? Yeah, we've always been, again, me being the data guy, um, we've always been one to, to rely on data. When we first wanted to get started, it was very much so like, okay, what do we really want to sell? Because we want to be very interested into it. Now, what I always say about Amazon is that it's a very different market than you know selling something through a website, for example, where you're able to run paid traffic. Um, how I how I distinct or distinguish, you know, you know, Shopify dropshipping, for for example, running Facebook ad at Facebook ads and paid traffic versus Amazon is Amazon's an intent based market, meaning if somebody's searching up like I want to buy a garlic press, they have an intention to buy a garlic press. Now, you obviously have to attract them to your listing, but they already have the intention of buying it. You don't have to, you know, cast out a reel have an ad, an ad copy that entices them emotionally to purchase your product. Um, but with that being said, because it's an intent-based market, we have the data by using different softwares to make a decision on whether or not this is going to be lucrative enough, lucrative enough for us to get into, but also not as competitive for us to get into. So for us, when we first got started, it was very much so, you know, we wanted to pick it, pick something we were passionate about, but we realized was if we're in this to make money and good money, we need to follow the numbers and follow the data and make a decision based off of that. 
Um, you know, the first product we got into, like we got our, you know, we went very niche niche. We're in tools and home improvement, but more specifically, we're home storage and organization. Nothing, nothing any more than that. That's our main brand. Um, and when we first started, we weren't passionate about the product or anything like that. But what we found is that as you continue to sell, as you continue to build, you don't need to be passionate about your product. You need to be passionate about the business and you need to be you start to find a love for Amazon and being able to make things happen. And then you start getting, you know, influencers that you're working with and you're building these partnerships and it just starts growing. And then you find a lot of passion to what you're doing instead of what you're actually selling. That's what Absolutely. I was going to say. <laughs> so did you, did you guys find the product or did you, did you build the product or uh, create it yourself? Yeah. Good question. So um, yeah, we, we found the product. So we went through viral okay. launch. We found the product through viral launch. Funny enough, like, this is again the paralysis by analysis stage. We probably did three, like I want to say two and a half, th almost three months of straight product research almost every single day. And we weren't able to commit to a product. The product that we moved forward with was actually one of the first products that we found, funny enough. Um, with that said, we found that product. Now, the variation that we sold of it, there wasn't a whole lot. So there was plastic and there was stainless steel. Um, there was only, I think, only one other seller, which is our top competitor right now, that was selling the stainless steel. And we were just more appealed by it. So that was a little bit more of a um, emotional decision, I would say. But we went mm -hmm. forward with that product. Now, with that said, um, across the plastic and the stainless steels, um, this product directly installed into a wall. Now, some of the complaints, what we what we like to do is listen to customer feedback at the end of the day, right? That way, we're making educated decisions based off of the actual customers purchasing this, purchasing this product current state. And one of the common questions or one of the common concerns that we saw was, this product didn't directly install into wall studs. So 16 inches, a 16 inch install, which allows you to have more load capacity. It doesn't, because it's so like, it's so tight on the wall, it could have easily been pulled out of the drywall and it would just, would have been a nightmare at the end of the day. Right. So the safety concern too. Yep, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So with that said, we changed it, we differentiated it. We got a new mold created for that product. And we were the first to market with this differentiation point. And it really, really set the tone for our brand within the market. Um, that product has done so well. It's still our hero product. We have launched five different variations to it now um, that all sell great. Awesome. So is that in, so when you guys are doing variations, which is good, you found what I think a lot of people don't think about is it used to be in, the, we call it the wild west days of Amazon, just uh, the variations were as simple as colors, right? They were, they were like, they're not actually differentiating products. Now you have to be so strategic in terms of, is it coming with like, sets of three sets of five like it, it could be number it could be certain sort of features that are coming with it certain tools added onto it you're scaling in that regards how do you when you're talking with your students now and or you know people you're working with now how important is to find variations that actually make sense and not just yeah. a simple like slap a different sticker on it call it a three pack and you're on your way yeah yeah, ma massive. Again, me being the data person, what we do is we we listen to the numbers, right? So uh, one of the things that we did to figure out, so our first variation, for example, was a two-pack. How we came up with whether or not that would sell is we went into our business reports, we figured out, okay, how many sales were made and how many units were ordered. And we noticed that there was 25% more units ordered than there was actual sales made. So what that told us was like, holy crap, more and more people are actually purchasing, purchasing two of these instead of one of these. So right. we really solidified that. Um, you know, we were able to bump up the margin on that two pack by like 15% because we still kept within that same FBA fee. Um, but again, yeah, we, we listened to the customer data. And then the same thing with some of our other variations. Um, you know, some of the feedback that we actually got was this product needed to be more spaced out. 
So what we did is we made a longer one, and this is now an oversized product. We've spaced them out so people can have different options, right? So another mm -hmm. option for it, uh, people wanted a smaller one, right? And this was all through feedback. Uh, what we used to do as well is we used to drive feedback through our customer inserts, and we would get replies every now and then and everything like that. And people are like, you know, I love this product, but it was too big. And we kept getting those. And then we saw some reviews on it, um, so on and so forth. So again, we always look at the data. And then we also look into the marketplace and we figure out, okay, what else are people launching? Our top competitor, he started launching all these different variations. What we did is we let him take the risk a little bit, figure out like, okay, which ones are actually selling. And then we made a decision on whether or not we wanted to bring it to market or even test it to market for full, fully scaling with it or anything like that. Fascinating. When So when I hear that, I think customer feedback, you, you said inserts. How else were you gaining um, different sort of feedback with your customers or did you have like Facebook groups or what were the different kinds of ways that you guys were soliciting feedback in that regards? Because you can't always ask for like, what are your thoughts? And you know, yeah. Amazon constantly changes like how often you can reply to customers, ask for reviews, ratings, things like that. Um, what ways were you guys doing that before they cracked down as much as they do now? Yeah. Um, well, we, we would have uh, obviously email support reviews were obviously common as well whenever we would get negative reviews or, or three-star reviews. But we also have, so current strategy, current state right now, we have a post-purchase that's a QR code that goes to a ManyChat flow, um, which is nice. a full-on bot sequence, which is always asking for feedback at the end of the day. Um, we're providing them additional resources as well through that ManyChat flow. But the opportunity when we're going, going ahead to ask for a review um, for any reason, they have some kind of negative connotation and they state that we drive them back to the email and they'll always email us, email us with their feedback in regards. And we'll just start a straight up conversation with them just through an email chain. And we've been able to facilitate a lot of feedback. Now, with that said as well, we have been able to utilize our Facebook groups as well um, to talk about different variations and things along those lines to see what they would like. And we've been able to build an email list as well. So um, our email list, we facilitate feedback through there as well, which we will capture emails through that many chat flow. Amazing. What, how easy is it to build a brand when you guys are going as niche as you are? Is it, is it easy to do or is it almost, is it almost like, what do we call ourselves? Like, what do we call this brand? Because mm -hmm. it's super specific. You can't call it like the Z, the Z product suite, or I don't know what you would call it. Like how, how easy was it to build out a brand or have you guys built out a brand for this? Yeah, totally. Um, definitely have built out a brand. <laughs> so to challenge or a challenge that you'll experience when you go very, very niche is like the ability to launch more products because because you're so, so niche. And if we're always relying on data, it's hard to find products that meet the requirements that you're looking for that also fit within your niche. So uh, we got really creative in how we actually did it. One of the things that I do on a weekly basis, bi-weekly basis, is we actually track our top competitors and people that have similar brands to where we want to go. So there's a lot of different brands out there, some that are much, much bigger than us. And what we do is fairly simple now for our product research. One of my favorite product research methods, I to say is, you know, we have these five, I think I have, sorry, there's 13 competitors that I track, um, you know, every other week. And what I do is I hop into their storefront and I figure out like, okay, what new products are they launching? Um, and I, and the way that I do that is I run my viral launch or helium 10, for example, I figure out which, which ones are the, which of those are actually new. So which ones have like zero reviews, right? And my ideology around that is okay. If they're launching it and they're a brand that I might strive to be one day, 
why are they launching it? They're launching it most likely because they think that they can make money off of it. So why don't I go back down into the rabbit hole, figure out whether or not this money or this product actually makes sense and whether or not we can do anything to add it to our product line as well. Um, with that being said, because those competitors have already launched it, we're you know two and a half, three months out before getting it to market, which is why nowadays product offering is so important. We always find a way of how we can stand out from our competitors because we want to be able to compete with them. Um, so you know that's the more challenging part with it is finding products within your very specific niche to launch. Now, what I find is a lot easier when you are very niche is that. If you're continuously providing content to your actual audience, um, you can get very, very clear on your messaging. You can get very, very clear on who you're actually targeting, which means that you can tailor your sales copy. You can tailor your emails. Uh, we've run paid traffic to our Shopify site. We can get very specific in how we're targeting and what audiences we're actually going after. So it might be harder to scale it up initially, but once you get to that level, it actually becomes easier because now you can do things off of Amazon. And, and nowadays it's all about coming off of Amazon because again, just like you mentioned, Amazon is taking all of these rights away from us sellers. We can't message people. Um, you can't, there's just so many limitations that we need to do something to collect that customer data so that we can build a sustainable business instead of just rely strictly on Amazon. Yeah. You're muted, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. See, this is what I do on a live show. I, I, I'm listening and thinking I forgot to press the simple button. So thanks for calling that out. Um, season three, gotta love it. Um, uh, God, you would think after 100 episodes, I would figure out the mute button, but here we are. Uh, with So you, you mentioned a couple different points. It sounds like you guys have figured it out how to drive and collect outside data through like mini chat flows, um, through customer feedback, you know, just providing simple information for warranty or sending eBooks. Those are all easy ways for people to collect data. You mentioned something that I would like to get your guys' opinion on, but first off, are you selling just in the United States market? Are we also selling in Canada, other marketplaces? Where are you guys currently selling right now? Yeah, so we are predominantly in the United States right now. With that said, we have the North American Remote Fulfillment Program set up. So we have um, actually quite a bit of global sales when it comes to Mexico and Canada. We we're actually just about to send inventory into Canada, but um, there's been some strikes going on here and their limitations have decreased a lot. So we put that on the back burner for now. We're just going to redirect it into our 3PL in the United States. Um, but yeah, we yeah, have some say, good... Yeah, so my thunder, market. man. Like I was going to say, with, with the recent IMI restrictions... <laughs> what, what's it so what's it like uh this is actually brought up on our amazon mastermind call on clubhouse right before this um a lot of people we have a lot of sellers in canada who are are saying like hey there's actually fulfillment centers who have even uh just had covid out covid outbreaks shutting down fulfillment centers so it's delaying there's news there's news about a, a big event that's happening that may not happen in canada and i'm not gonna say it because uh <laughs> it's not been made official officially public um but but Canada seems to be getting hit with a brunt of all these different um, restrictions, I my restrictions specifically, mm -hmm. which affects launching new products. So with you got for that being said, is that something that you guys are holding off on figuring out how do we launch a new product when I can only send a hundred units at a time or whatever even is right now into Amazon when we don't know if it's actually going to be a successful product launch? 
Yeah, yeah. I think one thing that we like the products that we were planning on sending into um, Canada and Mexico, there's one product that we're still planning on sending to Mexico. It's in production current state. Um, but the product that we wanted to send into Canada. Um, so just I, I saw this yesterday, but inventory level restrictions are 20, 20 units only per ASIN or something like that, which is absolutely insane. You cannot do a product launch like that. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, like, we always like the way that we use NARF is we, we, we truly use it as a testing tool. I actually posted this on my Instagram recently, or I think it's being posted today, which is a great topic, but we use it as a testing tool. We, we test the product with the demand. Um, we run a little bit of advertising and we're not trying to push a crap ton of sales. We're looking for whether or not people are actually seeing our ads. Are we seeing the impressions? Are we getting the clicks, right? Because that dictates whether or not we should actually invest into scaling it up because we haven't ranked the product. We haven't done anything to push sales for it. We're just trying to dictate whether or not people are actually searching for those keywords. So we use NARF as a tool to validate whether or not there's going to, to be demand. I wouldn't send in our regular 5,000 units for that product, you know, that we usually send in every two months into, um, into the United States, into Canada. I'd probably start a lot smaller, test it out from there. Um, test out the landscapes, but yeah, the NARF program has been optimal in being able to test the demand um, through the pay-per-click advertising. I always have used impressions as a tool of like, okay, are people actually searching up this keyword to see whether or not there's demand or not? So, yeah, and if you and, and if anyone listening is thinking that Eric's making a weird noise when he's saying that, it's not. It stands for <laughs> NARF is North American Remote Fulfillment Program, and yeah. we've talked about it on the show quite a bit because. Um, people like Scott Deenham, who is a top 100 seller, I want to say still a uh, buy box expert. He's based out of Utah. He does, he tests all of his programs instead of sending product into uh, Canada or Mexico. He does exactly that. He tests it out, fulfills it from FBA warehousing or anywhere housing here in the United States. And it still, I believe still has a prime badge, but it gets to your destination Longer. seven to 10 days later, theoretically. But that being said, Amazon's not, still not holding, uh, you know, true to its word with just regular products in FBA warehousing. I ordered mm. something on Monday and they said it would get here on Saturday. So even then, and this is kind of maybe uh, get your guys' opinion on this with Amazon not holding up its own end of the bargain, fulfilling goods at the prime uh, standard. Why do sellers have to then hold up their end of the bargain if they themselves can't do that on a consistent basis? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it sucks. It sucks that that happens. And it's it, it sucks that we have to play by their rules. And I, I wish that they would hold up their standards. And it sucks that we have to always play that play by their rules. In my opinion, as much as us sellers would love to go do whatever the hell we want to do, we'll always, we're always going to in some shape or form get a slap on the wrist. And unfortunately, especially when you know, a lot of our business, I'd say 80% of our business relies on Amazon for sales. The last thing I want to do is put that into a state where we potentially risk that. So uh, I'm going to continue to play by the rules and make sure that I'm doing everything ethically, of course. But um, I'm curious to see how things things get released and if things ever open up or anything like that. Yeah. So what so and you're right, I, I think like, do, do you uh, bark at the the big bully in the in the yard or do you you know follow its rules those are those are kind of the questions that a lot of sellers have to have to abide by and a lot of frustrations mm -hmm. happening because of supply chain logistics trying to figure out how much inventory to send they can't figure out 
you know, if they have to get rid of a lot of products before they can even load any in, like so on and so forth, it's just a headache constantly. But that being said, a lot of people are looking at it as a short-term possibility instead of long-term. Where do you think that this evolves making sellers kind of adjust with the times? Is it working with more 3PL partners? Is it getting their own warehousing? What is, what's kind of the evolution that's going to come from all these quote unquote restrictions or locking yeah. down it? Yeah. I would say both. I think both are great options at 3PL. I think it's super, super imperative, even if you're a new seller that may not necessarily have the, the limits that we have as, as older sellers right now, a total cap on our inventory limits. But a 3PL partner, I think is super, super imperative um, to have, even just to, to lean on for any reason you need to maybe uh, liquidate any kind of inventory or store inventory, but also to go omni-channel, right? Like we run... Um, we run sales through our e-commerce site as well. And, and with their 3PL, we're able to fulfill orders through that as well. So you have that option to do. So I think it's super imperative to have that on the front end and build that profitable relationship for the long term, but also having your own warehousing space. Unfortunately, I mean, we don't have the benefit right now because we don't live in the United States. Our office here in Canada does have a little bit of a warehouse space. So when we do plan, we're going to be able to store some inventory here, which is nice. But I think, yeah, I, I definitely think the industry is going to be going over there. Um, and, and getting into more of temporary solution for sure. So that we're not just relying on Amazon's terms at the end of the day, because they're becoming a monopoly is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Right. And I think a lot of people getting into the space during COVID, like they've been through some brutal times when it comes to Amazon a year before that we were living the dream. It was super, super easy. You can send as much inventory as you wanted into Amazon. But now having to abide by these rules, I would say, I mean, there's sure there's probably things that could probably still happen and it's going to be challenging, but what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? And having in business, like having these relationships, business is all about relationships, honestly. So just like Brian mentioned, partnering up with 3PL is, it's a short-term fix for now, but having that partner is only going to be beneficial um, in the long-term should anything happen should anything happen with your products that you need to send anything out, it's good to have that set up. Um, and I think, I think 3PLs for us is going to be something that we're going to continue to use to help manage our inventory. We can order more inventory, get better prices, store it there, allow us to scale a lot quicker. Obviously, cash flow for a lot of people that are listening to this and are not newer, a lot newer. Cash flows will, will become an issue for, you know, if you're not at, to, at a point where you're making a crap ton of money quite yet. But when you are at that level, you can really take things into your hand and have that inventory in the United States, send it into Amazon, and you can really scale from there. And um, yeah, I think it's been a big benefit to us, honestly. That's the way that I look at it. Absolutely. It sucks. And, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, there, the barrier to entry, <laughs> you guys have mentioned this too, it's gotten a lot higher, which yeah. I think people, you guys, you guys mentioned it a very eloquent way of you know, it's going to benefit people who are in it for the long haul of I'm going to problem solve and figure this out. Even though it might cost more money, I'm going to overcome those barriers because if the barrier is too low, like you said, back in the quote wild west days, we always talk about the 14, 15, 2014, 2015 timeline. You buy inventory, you throw it in Amazon, you sit on a beach or wherever, and you just start printing <laughs> money because it was so easy to do. But now Amazon has truly made it so that they're leaning into brands first and foremost. So Key number mm -hmm. one, leaning into brands, building a reputable brand. You can't turn and burn product like you used to be able to. You have to be do it the right way. And then also figure out how you're going to speak to the end consumer. And it's always been about that. People forget that Amazon built its network 
with customer minded, customer minded first. It's mm -hmm. always going to get its products quicker to their customers. It's always going to make sure that the pricing is the best on the internet. It's going to make sure that it's not some product that's going to blow up in their face or cause chaos or whatever that might be. So we always have to think about, it's always going to try to protect its customers at the end of the day. Um, for you guys as a brand, continue to grow out that product set, continue to build out your brand. What's that roadmap look like for you guys? Because it sounds like what, less than two or three years selling online. What's that angle for uh, a brand or, you know, company for you guys? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the, the topic of this is building a diverse niche focused product line. And, and that's exactly what we've done. We very, very, we've been able to hone in and very be niche focused within that organi organ organizational based interest market, which is awesome. It's phenomenal. What that has allowed us to do is again, just launch products that we can really resonate with our target audience. We've been able to tailor our copies. So we started off with just two products within our first year. Last year, we ended up launching nine. We've already launched two products this year with a couple more in the pipeline right now. Um, and, and the reason for that, and the reason why I wanted to chat around, like having a diverse portfolio of products, like I always look at our product line, very similar to investing. So investing, you know, you want to have a di diverse amount of stocks, bond, real estate. So you're not just leaning on one thing, right? Cryptocurrency. No, I'm yeah, just it, it, it's it's hard. Hard. I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, but supposedly everyone is, is on board, but don't, don't yeah. just buy cryptocurrency. Anyways, I interrupted Brian. Go ahead. Nope. No, no worries. No worries. No worries. But yeah, you know, having that diverse portfolio, what that allows you to do is build more of a sustainable brand at the end of the day, right? Having a sustainable brand allows you to leave your job and quit your nine to five and do this full time. And what I mean by sustainable is me and Eric are, are way bigger fans of having small wins, you know, having products that do five to 10K on a monthly basis, as opposed to having products that do 100, 200K. Obviously phenomenal if you can get a product that do 100, 200K, of course. But if you have like, let's say 10 different products, 10 different products that are all producing $10,000 for any reason, one of those products flunk again, Amazon's policies are always changing. It's inevitable for something to eventually happen. We now still have nine of the products that are bringing us $90,000 in revenue. So it's more sustainable in that sense. Now, with that said, we plan to launch a couple more products this year and we have an exit plan in place um, to move on to a bigger, better brand that we're already in the process of kind of roadmapping right now. Um, we've already been talking to aggregators and they're very, very, actually, like, I think five different aggregators actually reached out to us by looking at our listings on Amazon, which is an awesome feeling. We've had preliminary discussions, haven't gone through the, we've gone through evaluation process, but we haven't gone through any due diligence process because we're going to bang out the rest of this year because we have a strong roadmap in mind to exit. Um, and then we'll hopefully get a seven figure exit. That's the goal for next year. And at this rate, it looks very, very promising to say the least. Absolutely. What, what kind of uh, product suite or what kind of category do you guys want to get into? Is it, is it the same category or is it very much like higher threshold, higher quality product? Got, got to have that capital to, in order to, to jump in and get started on that. Is that, is that what you guys are talking about? Yeah. So um, we actually want to get into more of a consumable based product. And the reason for that is, you know, acquiring the customer once and retargeting afterwards. Also products, you know, our products does a great job in terms of creating user generated content. That's why we've been able to build a good social platform. With that said, we want a, a product um, and the product that and the niche that we're getting into very, very much so um, promotes like viral content. Like a lot of people, it's a massive trend going on right now. Uh, fairly competitive on Amazon. So we're going to take a different approach and actually target digital marketing first through a Shopify site and launch very similar. I don't know if you guys uh, had listened to David Zaleski's um, 
story over the past year of him building a brand, but tackling a more competitive market on Amazon by focusing on building an email list through digital marketing, through your Shopify site, promoting viral content, building a good social following. And then when you have those raving fans, using them to launch on Amazon. So that's the goal with this brand. Uh, a lot more technical, there is definitely gonna be more capital upfront needed again, because it is more competitive. And with, with digital content, of course, there's just more, more demand when you can create for yourself as long as you have the budget for advertising. Absolutely. And we're talking about trending products. I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but Amazon is now promoting products that are trending on social media. I'm not sure if you guys saw that header really? over the last three days ago. I, I have to send it to you guys, but specifically it was calling out, yeah, products that are trending on social media. And it was the pink, pink goo. It's like LED lights. And then it's a bunch of like other stuff, but there's a lot of data and analytics. And I'm, I'm probably going to write something similar to this. And my theory around it is you're going to start to see, even when I started to see, uh, I was just playing around today on, on Amazon, social media or trending. I put in the word trending and keywords that naturally popped up were trending on TikTok, trending on Instagram, trending on Facebook. And you're going to start to see, I personally believe in my mind, social media start to drive keyword research. And it's going to either have really quick and very powerful impact for a product. And I say that because again, I'm going to go back to Scott Needham. He said on TikTok, he, there was an influencer that promoted, they didn't even promote organically pushed and use one of his unique products. It was like a UV light that hardens and is very, very TikTok-y. Let, let's call it, let's call that the adjective. TikTok-y, <laughs> a trendy, consumable, very weird. You have a low budget to injury is 15 bucks. I think of that. And he sold 20,000 units before Prime Day. It was like nuts. Like the wow. amount of product that just organically spiked just because people search almost naturally search find buy this product or consumable, you know, product in general. He happened to be promoting on PPC. He was one of the top rated products that sold this, but there's other listings that sold it and he crushed it. And so that it was, it's fascinating. I think that social trends will really start to drive product trends as well. You'll start to work mm -hmm. with influencers more. Instagram just announced recently that it's making it easier for content creators to promote products and buy in app. So again, pointing directly to either uh, Shopify stores, like you guys, you guys mentioned, or other yeah. supporting websites, it's gonna it's gonna start to trend that way and make it a lot more easy for social commerce to happen within app and not just on Amazon too, which is fascinating. What what are you guys thinking about like working? You said influencers earlier. Yeah. Do you guys have to go to those niche influencers? What's that like that outreach for you guys? Yeah, we um influencers has been it's been it's been up and down. What I always say about influencers is that it's going to take a lot of testing to find people that are actually going to work for your brand. Um, we've probably tested 40, 50 people. And there is five of those 40, 50 people that we now have partnerships with and work with them regularly because they brought the most traffic to us. Um, every time we partner up with them, you know, we have this one guy on TikTok. Um, every time he does a post for us, we just shoot up in sales, right? Those are the people that you want in your corner. And it's very important. Um, and I think influencer management and just being able to find those influencers is definitely a long-term game. It's not you know, give your product to an influencer, get them to post it and hope you make a crap ton of sales. If you don't make a crap ton of sales off of that, get the user generated content, use it and repurpose it into your Instagram feed, 
we use it on Amazon posts. We've been doing a lot of Amazon posts through user generated content from our Instagram influencers, uh, people that have written blogs and everything like that. And unfortunately we can't dictate sales from Amazon posts, but we can dictate traffic. And then what we do is we, um, base it off of an average conversion rate of our actual account. So, you know, it's again, we don't have the hard data and everything like that, but I'm a big believer that if Amazon is testing out new things and showing us of these new features, we should be early adopters and making sure that we're actually doing it. So again, influencers to answer your questions, it's a long-term play, find the people that are going to work for you and then really focus and hone in on those relationships and figure out not only how it's going to benefit you, but how can you benefit them as the influencer so that you can actually create a relationship with it. So do you, do you guys think we'll find, we'll start to see niche influencers, like people specifically going on social media to become niche influencers? Does that make sense for yep, products? Yep. I think so. I think so. And this one TikTok guy, all he does is tools and home improvement. Really? Okay. I know so YouTube, you see a lot of like, all give reviews and testing on that, but those are like yeah. pretty in depth. They're not consumable. They're more like, I would dare to say older, more yeah. focused. Like, <laughs> uh, I know I watch some of them, but I want to consume it in very quick snippets. Like, does it do what I want it to do? Is it going to like, wow me? Is it going to do all these quick snippets? Yeah, I was going to say, you guys found this person or how did you find this individual on TikTok? We, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, Brian. Yeah, we, uh, we work with uh, almost like a little PR agency, very small. We were an early adopter to this little agency um, and they, um, they're called the Azir, Azir Agency and they essentially reached out to them. They got us on to a bunch of publications that we've been able to repurpose into our enhanced brand content, into our, our images. They've got us and landed us a bunch of different partnerships. And on top of that, we have a, a virtual assistant that works and actually manages their entire social channel for us, does constant community development, making sure that she's engaging with other people relevant to our niche, direct messaging them, just building relationships. I think that's the most important thing. It's all about relationships. You're not necessarily trying to sell here, but you're trying to see if it's going to work for both parties at the end of the day. So we've developed the SOPs for that. And we've been working with, uh, with some people to do exactly that. You just train someone and you take it off your plate. Um, but yeah, we've been using two different parties. So the VA and then the, the other agency. Awesome. And so that actually leads me to you guys teaching people different products and whatnot. You, you started recently this new course. And again, when everyone hears on Amazon, oh, another course, or how much is this yeah. one going to be? Or is it going to be free? Is it going to be worth my while? You guys started specifically so that you can help influence people. And we saw some of the comments come in today. Uh, just live they're like hey i love my coaches i love these guys <laughs> what <laughs> so shout out if hopefully those they are telling the truth and yeah. they're that not in trouble true. with their uh mentorships no those are those no, are no. The most engaged students they're both awesome they I, I love those two guys both of them so i mean you guys mentioned there's a lot of just like you analysis by paralysis there's so many people are trying to teach out there monetize off it which again is not a bad thing i'm not calling that out you guys felt there is a need and there was a space in this market that you guys can add value. What was that like mm -hmm. in terms of, hey, we feel confident in our sales ability, we can teach people, help them grow, either monetize or not off of it? Yeah, I think, um, and that's a great question because there's a lot, of, a lot of course creators or content creators out there get a lot of backlash because they think it's just a money thing. But in all honesty, like creating a program and having students and mentoring is, it's a lot of work guys, it really is. And, what I can say about what we do differently is, and Harvey and Mohammed in the chat here can probably speak this as, speak to this as well, but 
Brian and I are definitely like, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one support. We are very much so not there to do things for people, but very much so to teach people how to, de to actually develop and maintain a sustainable skill set. Um, so we do like the one-on-one -on -one stuff that not a lot of people do because that's where people need to really spend the time. So for example, like product validation, we spent a lot of time in that stage paralysis by analysis because we didn't know what a good product looked like. And it wasn't our fault. It was that most people are very broad in how they teach it. Right. And people need to gain the confidence to be able to, to use that skill set consistently as they continue to grow their business. Because we all know if you can't do product research, it's going to be a very, it's going to be very hard for you to grow your Amazon business. So if you don't know where to look, you don't know what to, what numbers to validate, what looks good, what looks bad. Um, and what we really do is like, if a product looks bad, I straight up tell students like, Hey, I wouldn't get into this for this reason. I'd give them a reason as to why, instead of just trying to diminish their confidence that they're doing it completely wrong. Um, so that's been really, really pivotal, pivotal. And in all honesty, like the way that drove us to us starting our own program, um, is we were consulting for uh, another program. I won't drop it or anything like that, but we were consulting for another program for a year. We, we put in one whole year with them. We were doing one-on-one -on -one support and group support for them. And when we started getting a lot of our students telling us like, hey, you should be doing this for yourself. We love you. You, you guys have great energy. You guys are very knowledgeable. They, they were the ones that were telling us to go do it ourselves, right? And, and it was true. Like, again, we, we built somebody else's dream, right? Why not do it for people that do it for ourselves ultimately, but we can get more fulfillment from it is really what it came down to. So it was, again, li listening to what people are saying and, and really honing in on what is working for us. Well, I hope people keep telling you guys you're doing a great job because it sounds like you are. Like numbers don't <laughs> lie. If, if those numbers are true, like we talked about that intro, yeah, that, yeah. that's, that's going to continue to yield results for you guys. And it sounds like you have good heads on your shoulder to make sure you know which step comes in front because a lot of people freak out. They get paw or they pause and they freak out. And what do we do now? We can't sell if we're just on Amazon. We don't have these backup and con contingency plans. Um, mm -hmm. I guess my final question for you guys, before we let you go on a Friday, what is, what, with that being said, so you guys are building out your own niche in your guys's own focus. Do you tell people, what, what is it like to just jump in? What, what's the number one key component about starting Amazon, not getting stuck and thinking, overthinking something, right? Because you want to do something that's going to be validated, but you don't want to just sit there and think about it and mull it over and constantly like let months go by, years go by before you do that. What would be your advice for students who are in that process? They're stuck. I don't know if this is going to work. What do you tell people? Yeah, I'll actually say two different things. One, um, I'll say invest into mentorship. And the reason I state that is you know, to be honest, the whole, the whole program that we've developed um, is, is for the, the process that we've taken to develop our program is because we felt ops, we had obstacles, we had barriers throughout our process as well. And we wanted to close those barriers, right? So in investing to a mentor, yes, it might cost you money upfront, but look at it as an investment at the end of the day, if it can get you to start selling on Amazon sooner, you're going to start making money sooner. Two, you're probably not going to make as much mistakes. Therefore, you're saving money there as well. So it kind of it's an even playing around that. And the second thing, to be honest with you guys, it's it's mindset. The reason I state that, like especially for starting your first product, the foundation and the framework is fairly similar across all co coaching programs, um, trainings, whatever that looks like. Um, but 
having uh, that set up and making sure that you have a good mindset going into the program or going into this business is so crucial because the technical stuff can be taught at the end of the day. It can be taught the mindset and making sure that you can look past and you know that this is truly a business and you're not getting into a get rich quick scheme. You're truly building an asset here over time. You're wanting to build a brand, having that mindset going into it and you know that you have a long-term vision in mind. I don't know if you had anything else to add on today, Eric, but I think those are the two most important things. And we have a full on or a, a full on mindset component, everything that, you know, we've been stumped on. Um, we've developed videos on it to make sure people are walking into the actual development, the technical training with the right mindset moving forward. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is, is the mindset component, right? Like it's OK to fail. Um, you should actually expect to fail. Right. You can never find a perfect product. Um, in all honesty, like the way that I like to talk to students about it is that, again, it's not a get rich quick scream. It's going to take a lot of hard work. You're going to make mistakes. Even with mentorship, you're naturally going to make mistakes. But it's your choice on whether or not you take that mistake as something that you can learn from or for it to completely end your business or end your outlook on how this is going to work or not. Um, you know, we've seen it day in, day out. A lot of people fail in the first product, but the people that are very successful in the space are the people that keep continuing more products. And eventually, again, you'll find that one product that just completely takes off, right? We were lucky. We were lucky in a sense that, again, we validated everything that we could at the beginning, but we were lucky that our first product happened to be a product that was really, really good. But with that being said, we are big on taking those small wins. We have some products that do $30,000 in sales a month. We have some products that do 5,000. I rather launch five products that make me $5,000 a month instead of the one product that makes me $25,000 a month. That's the biggest component because again, it's okay to fail. It's okay not to have these absolute money makers. Uh, and that's just the natural thing of how business works, especially when you're doing a physical product business, right? You're going to have some crushers and some okays. And then you're also going to have some that you're just going to wash out. That's okay as well. Don't think that every product needs to be successful. Um, and be okay with walking away and pulling the plug if it just doesn't make sense anymore. That's fantastic uh, <laughs> advice. And in terms of uh, ending on today, I'm sorry it got dark here really quickly. It just got overcast <laughs> and everything's going on. This is the BB and live. You can't figure out your lighting, but it is what it is. But you guys, I you the the Zap, the Zab Twins is I can see you guys on Instagram. I see you guys all the time. What are the best ways that you? want to be reached out to if people are like yep that's who i want to talk to i want to you know pick their brain i want to work with you guys or i just want to like you know just learn more information about what is you guys do where can they learn that how can they reach out to you guys yeah um i think we're, we're probably the most active on instagram you can find us at the zab twins uh, with that said, feel free to just go onto our website. You can you can sign up for our newsletter. You can find all of our social channels. You can find information about the services that we offer. Everything from zero to hero is on that website. But if you wanted to shoot us a DM directly on Instagram, we will respond within a matter of, of hours, if not minutes. So um, that's probably the best place to reach us. Yeah, and we also have a... Go ahead. Sorry, I'll do one more thing. We also have a Facebook group. It's called the or the Zab Twins Amazon Community, uh, which we're a lot more active in now. I actually just made a bunch of PDF documents that I'm going to be posting in there as well. So if anybody's looking for just any additional value, I think that's a great spot. We're trying to be as much or very, very active in that group now moving forward. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the success, the mentorship, the growth on Amazon and off Amazon. 
stay safe in Canada and hopefully we figure out what can what Amazon's trying to deal <laughs> with Canada. It seems like they're getting the short end of the stick on a lot of things, but yeah. uh but yeah, are you guys are you guys trying to do any events or anything like that coming up? Like what are what what can we look for you guys next? Yeah. Um, well, we just hosted a, a virtual summit um, through, it was the Econ Brand Builder Summit, and we plan to do those probably twice a year. So there's probably something that's going to be coming up in the tail end of the year. Uh, we got invited to to speak at, uh, or to be a keynote speaker at an event that's going to be happening in Florida, and we're actually going to fly out there as long as COVID prevails and we're able to do so. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll drop some notifications and some information in regards to that once we have that information, just solidifying a date. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, just follow us on Instagram. We're very vocal. We make sure that we're announcing everything where you can find us, any kind of events that we're hosting, any free additional resources that we're providing. Um, the Instagram will be the best for sure. Cool. Well, make sure you guys follow them on Instagram, on Facebook and all of the other social media platforms. I know I do. I passively, <laughs> before I was reached out, uh, a connection of ours introduced us. I was actually going to reach out to you guys because of the great content you guys are posting. So Agreed. congratulations on success. Continue working hard. Um, we'll be in touch, I'm sure, shortly. Hopefully we can collaborate on a lot more stuff, but yeah. uh, congrats on all this stuff, guys. It's been Thank awesome. You, Pleasure. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Awesome. Right. Thanks. Thanks for the Zab Twins again for coming on Crossover Commerce. It's dark here. All of a sudden, it looks like it's going to rain, but that's spring here in Indiana. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been to the Midwest in the United States. Uh, that being said, this is Friday. This is Crossover Commerce. Uh, we have done a week's worth of content in various different capacities. We've done roundtables this week. We've done one-on-one -on -one, uh, podcasts. Now we've done two-on-one. Next week is more of the same. You want to make sure you subscribe to Crossover Commerce presented by Ryan Kramer and Ping Pong Payments uh, with Ryan Kramer presented by Ping Pong Payments um, on social media. Follow us on YouTube as well because all the content gets posted on YouTube channel for re-watching. Re um, if you miss an episode live or if you have other questions, go ahead and tag all of our guests in those post and make sure that we'll make sure that they get answered as well but make sure you check out the zap twins go ahead it's in the show notes below uh go ahead and subscribe to them let them know you heard them here on crossover commerce as well but i'm ryan kramer the host of this show this is episode 102 go ahead and tune in next week as we're going to go live three times next week with the companies of voltage digital marketing with neil Twa, uh amazing at home come bringing back emmy weiss of amazing at home and also holo attacks uh, with uh, Chris Shara, he, he's going to be talking about one-stop uh, shop changes for online sellers across Europe. So again, that's the beauty of this show, Crossover Commerce. We talked a little bit of everything in the e-business and the Amazon space, whether it be sourcing, product discovery, uh, keyword research, or just international payments, of course, VAT, GST, you name it. We're going to be here and bring in our own information uh, to the to the space as well. But go ahead and tune in next week. We'll, we'll catch you guys on next time. Thanks to the Zap Twins for hopping on on Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time.